Hello. Hello, how are you? Hello, Dan. How are you? Oh, I'm super good. I'm reading about the uh, Kennebec uh, birch canoes. Oh, yeah? Are you going to be doing some canoeing? I love to canoe. Um, I really do. And I, I bought uh, I bought a inflatable kayak at the beginning of the summer. Amazon.com uh-huh. had one of their specials where it was like a two-person kayak with paddles and all the rest for $85 or something. And I said, what's the worst that can happen? And I bought this thing. I bought one for um, my little family here. And then my sister had one. So we have a flotilla of three and we go pump them up and go kayaking in the Pacific Northwest swatways. Right. Sure. Both, both fresh and salt water. And yesterday we went out here in Puget Sound and I kayaked my way down until the uh, until the rest of our little flotilla because we had a friend that had an inflatable paddle board too so they were they went out into the ocean and then were sort of made a little uh, you know kind of circled their wagons and sat gossiping in the ocean and I was like I don't want to sit here and gossip I want to get out of here so I paddled off into the middle distance and according to them I was no longer visible <laughs> over the horizon right and I guess that's true I guess I couldn't see them either but had a wonderful day and uh, these are surprisingly useful little craft I thought that it was going to be a kind of a toy but it allows me to go out on the ocean and and um, get pretty far away and have it you know I'm, I'm never I'm never more than a quarter mile offshore, but, but I'm, uh, I really love it. I love being on the water. Yeah. But like a, can, a canoe is such a different animal and I love a canoe. I don't think that a Kennebec, uh, like built in Maine canoe, cedar canoe is probably where I should be focusing my attention because the one I'm looking at is from 1922, and it seems like something that probably will be purchased and put on the wall of a sports store. Right. <laughs> like it, like it's a beautiful thing, and and it will probably end up at a Filson store somewhere uh, up right, on the wall, right, right, right. rather than just being used by me to go uh, putter around in the marshes. But yeah, but I do love a I do love a canoe. I ain't gonna lie. Mm-mm. Why would I lie, Dan? There's no, no I, there's, I mean, do you, and when you say canoe, are you including a kayak in the canoe? No, I see. No, a kayak is a a kayak is a different animal and something that I don't have a ton of experience with. And so when I'm out in the kayak, I'm like, I know there <clears throat> there are people. <clears throat> excuse me. There are people in this region that are very serious about kayaking. Yes, and they go long distances. You know, ocean kayaks out into the you know, they go multiple days on long adventures. And I know that there's a culture around it. There are techniques, there are, there are mores. And, um, I rolled the first time I was ever in a kayak, I rolled it in, um, in the Knick river mm. and lost my glasses and, 
and I couldn't, it was a big kayak, like it was an ocean going kayak and it was in a river. So it was already kind of like, this isn't exactly what, how these things are designed. Yeah. And I rolled it like a dummy cause I've spent a lot of time in canoes and I know how to enter a moving waterway in a canoe without tipping. But I, I just ignored what I knew somehow being in a kayak. I was like, suddenly I, I just dissipated, I dissipated the rules, <laughs> All right? R- rolled it instantly. Like didn't even, there wasn't even a, like a second's hesitation. This thing was like, Oh, would you like to roll? Thump. And then I couldn't get it back up, which is like a thing that you kind of have to practice. I couldn't roll it back around. And so I fell out of it. And then all of a sudden I'm the guy that's like clinging to the upside down kayak as it, you know, as like a wet dog, as the kayak hurdles down this river and everybody else had to like haul ass. They were in, um, they were in boats like, uh, inflatable, uh, Zodiacs. And so they're all doing that like special forces paddle where four people are like paddling right. their Zodiac really fast to try and catch me as the river takes me away. And then we had to go over to the side of the river and build a campfire and, you know, like get me warm. And it was just embarrassing. I lost my glasses. So I've always had a, like a kayak, like, I don't know, a little phobia. That was, that was 20 plus years ago that that happened. Yeah. But, but this kayak, this inflatable kayak is real wide bottom. It's, it doesn't feel tippy. It feels very stable, but a canoe, you know, you, you sit in a canoe differently. You, you, you paddle it differently. You you just, you have a paddle instead of a, whatever those kayak, like double end paddles are. You don't sit as low in the water. It's just a different craft. Yes. But you know, Dan, the Northwest is like so oriented toward the water. At least it used to be when I was growing up before there was a tech industry, when the industries out here were timber, fishing and airplanes, Mm -hmm. we just, we thought about the ocean. You couldn't help but think about the ocean every day because the whole region just sort of interacted with the ocean. It was integrated with the ocean. Like if you were in Seattle, downtown Seattle, you heard bells on boats, right? You heard foghorns. The ferry boats used to honk their horns every time they arrived and every time they left the, you know, their dock boats were honking at each other all the time. You know, it was before boats had, had, had the, they all had radar. So they were communicating all the time. And so anywhere you were in Seattle, you were aware that you were at a port. Mm. You were aware that this was a port town. And it was true all through Puget Sound. Anywhere you went, there was some boat and it was always ding, ding, ding in a bell or honk, honk, honk in a horn. And boats were louder too. Like I spent the night on the, on the coast last year Mm -hmm. on a beach and there was this Foss tugboat. Foss is a tug company here that, that makes tugboats that, or I'm sorry, that both makes and operates tugboats 
that are those tugboats that could like pull an aircraft carrier. Oh yeah. Yeah. And this, this Foss tugboat was headed from probably from Tacoma to Bellingham or something. And I was, I was sleeping on the beach up around Kingston and I heard this boat for over an hour as it went up the channel because the motor was like, and you could hear it for fucking ever. Yes. And I watched the boat and you know, the boat's like making good progress. It's just such a, like a sea tractor. And it just, that sound reminded me that a lot of boats used to sound like that. There was, everything was louder when we were kids, cars were louder, horns were louder, buses were louder. Everything was just loud. And there, there was a movement. I should probably look into this, but there was a movement to quiet down cities sometime in the eighties or late seventies where it was, where it was recognized that noise pollution was a thing. I know that I'm, as I'm sitting here, I'm talking myself into an omnibus episode. (laughs) No, not necessarily. But, you know, there was this effort to quiet down car horns, to muffle engines, to just like, because I think it had become unbearable for people in big cities. I remember being in downtown Seattle and just, it just felt like such a kinetic urban environment, so different from anywhere else. It wasn't like if you went a mile outside the city, you just weren't experiencing the same kind of cacophony right horns all the time ambulances it just was it was just like and now you know downtown the the ambient noise level is probably higher than it is at it, it kind of in the suburbs around a mall but not not that much higher and the boats are quiet they don't have bells anymore. They don't honk their horns. The ferry boats don't honk their horns. Only Did just people just complained what? about it or something? I don't know. I know. I think that they just got radar. And so everybody knows where everybody else is. And and maybe the fact that they that they honk their horn they don't honk their horns coming into harbor or coming into the port or the uh-huh, dock. Uh-huh. Uh, maybe that was a thing that people complained about. My mom used to say that around the time that I was born, you know, my dad worked in the city, but we lived in Kingston. And when the ferry boat would come in, we lived up on a, on a cliff on the water. And when she would hear the ferry boat honk, she would go to the window and she, you know, she, I was a babe in arms and she would look out the window and all the way across the um, the little bay there, she could, the, she'd watch the ferry come in and then she'd watch the people as they got off the boat, the people, the people, the, the foot passengers, because the ferry is also bringing cars. But my dad, the, my mom and dad had this like whole scheme. They had something like four cars and they kept one at the house, one in Edmonds, one in uh, like Winslow mm-hmm. and one in downtown Seattle. And so they would, they had this, this routine where <clears throat> on Sunday nights they would go 
drive around and like stage all these cars in all these places. So my dad could drive to the ferry and then walk on the ferry and leave the car in the parking lot. And then in the morning he would walk on the ferry and then get in the car and drive to Seattle. And they had this whole ballet, but she would watch the people get off the, uh, off the ferry. And if it was my dad, he would raise an umbrella or something. He would put up, he would like lift his arm in the air or, or if he had an umbrella, I don't think it was an umbrella. We never had umbrellas, but it was some kind of, he would like, signal and she could see him do it as he walked off the boat and she would then get in the car, drive around the bay and pick him up. And it just felt like hearing that story. It was always just seemed like the kind of romantic Pacific Northwest lifestyle where it's like, you know, that's, it's exactly kind of the, the dream you imagine of like, it just felt so bucolic because the ferry boats were smaller than it was. Everything was just smaller, I guess. Yeah. Smaller and louder. But, you know, for me watching Seattle and, and, and the Northwest kind of just gradually, but, but very, very, uh, noticeably turn its back on the water. There are people that live in Seattle now that, uh, for whom the Puget Sound and the and the lakes are just kind of backdrops, like oh, isn't that beautiful? Anyway, you know they never go on the water. They don't. They don't feel connected to the water. They're not. They're not like. Uh, yeah, they've just never been on a boat, right? Let a, let alone like swimming. And it's very cold the water here, the ocean, but. When I was a kid, of course, when you're a kid, you don't have any brains. And we, we <laughs> swam in the ocean every chance we got. Right. And if you've never swum in Puget Sound, I don't know how you could feel that connected to it. But like Lake Washington is is wonderful. People go swim in it all the time. And you know, Lake Washington is right in the middle of the city. There's so many opportunities to boat here. There's like the Center for Wooden Boats. You can go down to the University of Washington, rent a canoe, and just take it out all day, do whatever you want with it. Yeah. And rent it for just pennies. And what what's happened over the years is that it's happened to me, too. Living in Seattle, I'm just sort of like, oh, yeah, I've got all my my city problems, and i got to get from here to there. And you look out at the at the at the water, and it's just kind of like, oh, isn't this beautiful? We really live in a beautiful place. Anyway, back to the movies. And every once in a while, I'll spend some time with somebody that is more connected to the water. And I'm just reminded like, ah, fuck, you know? So I'm out in my little, my little kayak yesterday and all around me, there are seals bobbing their heads up. Yeah. They're like down on the bottom eating octopuses or whatever they do, grabbing clams they're popping their heads up and you know they're keeping like a 20 foot distance from me but i've got seals all around me and they're not it's not like they're barking and they're not really goofing around like they're busy but you know they pop up and and all of a sudden there's like a sea dog over there looking at you and whenever a, a 
an aminal looks at me, I always start <laughs> talking to it. So I'm talking to these seals. Uh-huh. And I'm like, when was the last time I, I was just like in a, I put myself in a position where I was just, it was just me and some seals. Like it's been a long time since that. And yet it was super easy. It cost $80 to buy this thing. It took 20 minutes to pump it up and get in it and get situated and get out right. on the water. And then here I am. Like I could be, I could have brought a package of hot dogs and I'd be feeding these seals hot dogs if I, you know, if I came out here every day. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. It's like the, the, the quarantine is, has been kind of wonderful and I'm trying to find ways to, to stay interested and engaged and, and, you know, like maybe make some new habits. Like last night and the night before, both nights I cooked my dinner over a, a campfire mm-hmm. and not because I'm camping, but because you can just light a fire on the beach here and put a put a weenie on a stick and cook it and make some s'mores. And just the last two nights, that's kind of been what we, what we did both times. We did it one night and then we were like, that was great. Let's do it. Let's do that again tomorrow and did it again. And it's not, you know, I didn't need any camping equipment. I didn't have to go to REI. It didn't cost any money. And you watch the sun go down in the ocean and it's like, wait a minute, this is available to me all the time. For the last 25 years, I could have been doing this every day. And my hair smells like a campfire, Mm -hmm. which is like my hair used to smell like campfires all the time. When was the last time you put your shirt in the washing machine? You're like, Jesus, it smells like a campfire in here. Yeah. So yeah, I'm excited about it. And I, I more than anything, I'm just excited about the idea that, that simple pleasures are really accessible because all of that stuff, the kayak, the hot dogs, it was all, it all turns on, a on just a, a moment, a moment where you stand there and go, ah, is it, do I really? want to pump up this boat and go out or do I just want to hang out here by the fire? And it's like, no, pump up the boat. Oh, okay. And you go do it. And then you're like 20 minutes later, you're like feeding hot dogs to seals. Not really. I had, I, I didn't have enough hot dogs for that, but, and then you go, why was it ever a question? Why did I sit on the shore and even for a moment wonder whether or not this was going to be worth it? Mm-hmm. But that moment of like, eh, is it worth it? You look out there, you're like, that's eh, a lot of, it's a lot of pumping up of things. Eh, is it worth it? And when you're sitting at home and you're like, let's go build a fire down on the, you know, let's go down to the public beach and build a fire and make some dinner. It's like, oh yeah. Or we could just microwave something like, <laughs> is it worth it? Right. We're all sitting here reading, like, do we really want to go down and watch the sun go down into the ocean and cook our food over a fire? God, it's just like so much trouble. It's no trouble at all, really. 
it's it's as much trouble or less than it used to be to just go to a restaurant and wait for a table. And the, I don't know, the, the risk is that you, that you feel like it's a lifestyle and you need to transform yourself and this is how we're going to live from now on and that type of thing, you know, that, that becomes kind of a burden, an emotional burden. Right. It's not how I want to live from now on. Like I want to be able to read and eat my food out of a microwave. Yes. I think about it because I've been because I've been working in my ravine for the last few months and I'm so grateful for it. Even though I'm not living in my house yet, I've gotten so much from that yard. You know, this Just from being this in that are you going out there like every day? Are you going out there once a week? I mean, what's your pretty much every day. Yeah. I, I pull I pull on my rubber boots. And I go down there, like yesterday I went down, I'm, I'm trying to build a bridge. Okay. And building a bridge is, building a shitty bridge is pretty easy. Building a bridge that will last five years is, you know, it's more involved. And building a bridge that will last 10 years is like, now you're getting into, you have to, you have to buy some materials and you have to know what you're doing and you have to you know, it's harder work. It's hard to build a shitty bridge. And so I spent several hours yesterday sitting on a log, looking at a place and moving four by fours around to get a picture of what, uh, get a picture of a bridge I'm capable of building by myself. And you know, putting an idea together, moving these four by fours around, not, not the actual four by fours, but just some four by fours I found in the, in the woods, but I'm using them as like a template. Like, okay, if I put this four by four here and this one over here, and you know, I'm thinking about like, I would buy new wood. What if this went like this? And then if I put these like over here and I, for hours and like endlessly kind of mindlessly just f- focused on a task mm-hmm. and an interesting There's something one, nice about I'm that a, in there. Oh, it's wonderful. I'm not a, I, I don't, I'm not a bridge builder or even really a, a carpenter. Yeah. But, but it, I have this opportunity, right? I have this wonderful, I got, I got really lucky that when I bought this piece of property that, that no one else bid on because it looked like, like a shit jungle. <laughs> like I was the, I was the only bidder and that's in a, that's in a, in a housing environment where a lot of houses have a lot of houses in this neighborhood have six bidders in competition for one another. And this house was really dramatically underpriced even for what it was because it had this shit jungle attached to it. And, and when I bid on it, you know, I didn't like other houses that I'd tried to buy, I bid way over the asking price and still lost. You know, my mom's house, when it sold, it sold for 20% over asking. And there were like five, five 
bidders, the top three of whom made cash offers, like we will just buy your house in cash. Mm-hmm. And then the other two were like, you know, we'll, we'll give you 75% down, but we have to finance the remaining 25. And it's like, who the fuck can buy a house in cash? Yeah, who seriously. What is that? How, how is there, how are there multiple people that can walk into downtown Seattle and buy a full sized house in cash money? Are there people that could do that? Yeah, there are five of them that, you know, that <laughs> waltzed up and, you know, there were a lot of other people that wanted that house that were, that their real estate agents were like, just forget it. Like, don't even bother. What are you yeah. going to do? You're going to bid, you're going to bid the asking price and, and you need financing. Like that's not the scene here anymore. Right. It's insane. But this house, you know, nobody wanted it. And there's a reason. And the reason is that here it is a nine months after I bought it. I'm still not living there because I'm doing all this work. And I could have, if I had had the money and the, and the wit and wisdom, I could have had this work all finished a long time ago. You know, every time they say, well, you need to pick shower heads. I'm like, okay, well, let's not be in a rush. You know, 10 days later, I'm like, well, what kind of shower head do you mean? You know, I'm not like a very good contractor or project manager, but it's like I've been living there because I'm, I'm on that property every day and I'm doing like really hard work. I've given my mom a purpose. She's down there in the ravine, like in her overalls. Yeah. She said that. Six months ago, like she started to feel like she was losing her balance. Like she just, mm. you know, she's 85. Yeah. And ever since, like, I kind of pointed her at a job in the ravine and said, you know, here's what I need. I need all this taken out and put either over here or in a bag or in a pile or whatever. And she started after it. And now six months later, she's like, balance is back. My strength is back. And in the quarantine, like she could have, she could have been, she's not somebody that would sit in a chair, but she's, she would have been like out every day, kind of walking around for an hour to get her exercise. But it's like so different to have a purpose. And it's given me a purpose and, you know, an exercise, like I come out of there just thrashed every day, covered in cuts and, and, um, you know, I really feel like I wrote a letter today to the, to the County because mm-hmm. there's a woman at the County that I contacted a long time ago and I was like, Hey, I want your help trying to restore my habitat. <laughs> and that's, and that's not a euphemism, <laughs> right? Cause there are a lot of people in the, in the West. And I know that there are a lot of people in Austin like this because I've done a bunch of research on watersheds and I've found some websites of like the people in Austin that are really passionate about restoring creeks. And it, of course in Texas, like those creeks are dry and then all of a sudden they're totally alive. And there's like a whole squad down there, but up here, you know, wetlands and creeks and, they're just five different layers of people before you even get to the government. Right. Which, which has five different layers of people that from reading all the 
stuff that I've read are five different super lame levels of, of government. And I, and I appreciate them because they're there to keep a developer from buying 50 acres and just bulldozing dirt into all the ponds. Right. But they're also like all, you know, like all regulatory agencies, they're also really ready to bully you if you, if you, like if you let your guard down, Oh, just even if you just, yeah, reveal that you're there. So I, I talked to this woman six months ago and, and we had a really wonderful talk and she was like, I can't come out and look at your property because of COVID-19. Yeah. But maybe in July. And so now we've been, been trying to set up an appointment, but now I don't want her down there because I don't know what her regulatory role or duties are. I don't want her right. coming down there and saying, whoa, wait a minute. You're not allowed to do this. What the hell do you think you're doing? I've got to shut this all down. You know, I don't know if that's her job or if she's going to come down and go, Oh, okay. Well, you've fucked it all up, but it's amazing. Like good, <laughs> good, good job. Right. Um, let me use my authority to shield you from the man. And together the two of us can work on a scheme. You know, there are people in government that are nice and smart. Lots of them. So I sent her a letter right before you called that was like, Hey, I really want you to come to my house and you can explain things to me and we can look at stuff. And I really want to do the right thing. And I want you to tell me what the right thing is. But I really, really, really don't want you to come out here and be bummed at me and even worse, like tell me that I have to stop doing what I'm doing because that would, that would crush me. So I'm kind of waiting, you know, this afternoon to hear, uh, to hear whether or not she I don't know what she's going to say. I don't know what she can say, right? She, she probably can't say, oh, don't worry. You can do the, whatever the fuck you want. I just want to come. I'm just working my job. I just want to come like clock my hours. Right. Um, you know, I hope that, I hope that she registers my sincerity and says, I'm used to working with people who want to fight restoration. Mm-hmm. I'm not used to working with people that want to work all day <laughs> in the, you know, ankle deep in mud right. to recreate the environment. So I want, I, I like you. I want you to, um, to do what you're doing and let me just, let me just guide and shape your, your work. But I don't know whether I'm a fool 
We would like to say thank you very much to our sponsor at Squarespace. There is so much that you can do with Squarespace. I mean, there really is. I've told you about it before. If you've ever heard any of my shows, they have been our sponsor for so long and they're really a great company. Basically, if you need to build a website, go to Squarespace first. They let you promote your physical business, your online business, announce an event, whether it's something that's upcoming or a special project. If you've got an iOS app that you want to talk about, use Squarespace to make the site. You're an iOS developer. You have no business making a website. Hey, don't be offended. They're going to do it better. They do it better than me. They do it better than pretty much anybody. They've got amazing, beautiful templates created by world-class designers. They've got e-commerce functionality built in, the ability to customize a look and feel, the settings, the products, you name it with just a few clicks. And there's even a new way to buy domains and choose from over 200 extensions. It ain't just .com anymore, and they've got them all. So go there and register a domain with your website, or even just if you want a domain, try them out. They're great. They have analytics. They've got 24-7 award-winning support. And they want you to make it, make it yourself and make it stand out. So if you're ready to start your new business, if you have a dream, if destiny is calling, that's right, check Squarespace out. So here's where you go to support the show, squarespace.com slash roadwork. Couldn't be easier. Just going there lets them know that you listened. And that's a big deal. They look at that and that says this this audience is engaged, right? But when you're ready to actually sign up, whether you want that website or the domain or both, the offer code is roadwork, one word. And you know what? That's going to get you 10% off your first purchase of the website or the domain. Pretty awesome. They've been supporting us at 5x5 for so long. And uh, let them support you in making something awesome. So go check it out, squarespace.com slash roadwork. Thanks very much to Squarespace for making the show possible. I guess it just depends on how much of a libertarian uh, I am today. How, how, what, I mean, like on a scale of one to 10, where would you put yourself in the libertarian world? Not, not very high. I don't, I don't generally take the libertarian path. I understand and appreciate it. I always consider it. Right. You know, when I lay out, my options in interpreting a political situation. I always, yeah. it's like when you pull out your Ginsu knives. Right. And you're, and the big knife is like libertarianism. You put it there on the, on your unfolded leather apron. And then you go, hmm, all right, well, big government liberalism. What about laissez-faire capitalism? You know, you lay them all out. How am I going to interpret this situation? What's my take on this? And I, you know, I pick up the libertarian knife. I turn it over in my hands. I say, does this, does this situation really require this? Yeah. Usually I mean, people, libertarians get a bad, they get a bad rap, man. They do. They do. They really do. It's not fair. And I'm here to here to say that. I'm here to go on record and say that that's just, just not right. Well, there are a lot of dummies that wrap themselves in libertarian flag because they don't have the they don't have an entire it's it's not libertarianism. You know, they don't have the worldview 
And libertarianism is an encompassing worldview, and it's just like any ideology. If everybody agreed that that was the best path, then yeah, it would work great and life would be fine. If everyone – you know, libertarianism is like a lot of sort of utopian philosophies. It, it, it presumes that people are responsible. That's, and, and that is the biggest thing that I have uh, – that I've had trouble with with libertarianism as, as a, when we've talked about this a lot, you know, as a libertarian myself, that's the thing that I, that I struggle with the most is that it implies, it, it, it expects, it requires that other people all are also libertarians and also have the same sense of their own responsibility in order to work. It does, it, if, if everybody's not on board, if everybody doesn't agree, well, then it's, you're just, it's not, it's not going to be a thing that works. And that yeah, is, that is a problem. There's no system that works if it doesn't have a contingency plan, plan for people who either completely disagree with it or do not have the moral and ethical foundation that the best people have. Mm-hmm. Right. And the problem with libertarianism or like a lot of ideologies is that people say I'm capable of governing myself. Therefore I do not want to be governed. Therefore government should be, um, government should basically be ordered around the best of us. And the people that are not interested or not capable or, or vehemently opposed are not my problem and they should be taken care of. They should take care of themselves or I don't know, maybe they'll disappear. And that's the wonderful thing about most utopian or most philosophies in general, I'm talking about economic and political philosophies. They just presume that people will either be converted or will disappear. All the people that dis that d- disagree will disappear, yeah, yeah, or or be converted. You know, be either converted by the wisdom of our of our ways, or they will cease to be a problem. And I don't know how, I don't know how it's possible that so much of American government, and I guess you know, the, the philosophy of government as put into practice in people's imaginations just has no contingency for human beings that are going to either really disagree and want to fight you or have no interest in managing themselves or even the, their basic, right, you know, right. just the basic level of like, Hey, don't throw your garbage over my fence. What? Oh, I thought that the fence was like the end of the world. It's like, ah, no, I live over here. We talk every day. Oh, right, right, right. This, you're talking well, about your, 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 your neighbor is what I'm. No, just like anybody, you know, you drive down the road and, and you think and you just have encounters with people all day where you're like, that person gets it. Oh, that person gets it. I'm not sure if that person gets it, but at least they're not in my way. And then you're like, wait a minute, you're in a supermarket and you're playing music on your phone. Because you can't go shopping without music and you are not, you do not comprehend that 
that that's incredibly inappropriate and disruptive and annoying, just annoying, let alone, you know, what leave inappropriate out of it. Just annoying. You don't, you don't understand how annoying you are right now that you pulled up to a public campground. And the first thing you did was get out a 150 watt, you know, or like open the doors in your car and crank your stereo. There's 50 other people at this campground that are trying to have some time with themselves. And now you're like, it's like, what the fuck? Really? All, how are you going to, how are you, how does your system of government, uh, like make an allowance for that person? Now, a lot of libertarians would say, well, he's on his property and he can do what he wants and I'm on my property and I, but that requires that you harden your heart and your, and put headphones on or I don't know what it requires that you live a different, a, with a different, with, uh, it requires that you put your philosophy above your own, um, like your basic, basic needs. And if you're going to do that, well, why not have it be a liberal philosophy where, where <laughs> you help other people rather than just one where you sit and chew on bullets while people all around you are fucking animals. So I don't know, looking at the, looking at the world right now and just imagining like, I get everybody's philosophy. I've, I've read all the books. Like I get where you all are coming from, but how do you not have any allowance for the people that are, that are just going to fight you? They, let, let's even, let's, let's put aside the people that have a competing philosophy. Let's just talk about the Scots Irish who are just going to fight you. It doesn't matter what you say. The people that are like, Oh, the sky's blue. No, it's not. <laughs> Fuck you. It's like, all right. I mean, there are, there are 15% of the people that just, that that's just their instinct. There are people right now drinking bleach to own the libs. How are you going to, how are you going to deny that they're there? And how are you going to put together a form of government that, just imagine that they're going to disappear. They're not. They're not going to disappear. They're going to stand on the front of the courthouse steps drinking bleach. <laughs>